Our reading for today comes from the book of John, chapter 21, verses 1 through 19. Let's listen for God's word. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples. And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, have you no fish? And they answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net to the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes, for he was naked, and jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far off land, only about a hundred yards. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. Now this was the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter felt hurt because he had said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would be glorified. And he said this to him, follow me. The word of the Lord. With nearly 80 million forcibly displaced people around the world, among them nearly 26 million refugees and 4.2 million asylum seekers, over half of whom are under the age of 18, to speak of an impending crisis is to completely ignore the elephant in the room. This is the highest level of displacement that the world has ever experienced. You and I live in a world where one person is forced from home every two seconds, 
as a result of conflict or persecution. This phenomenon is truly frightening, and we know in our heads that injustice, political instability, drugs, human trafficking, poverty, and violence, these are the reasons why so many are seeking refuge at our borders. And we know in our hearts that as Christians, we must consider how we are called to respond compassionately in the face of this reality. Governments and society at large are divided on how to deal with the challenging issues related to immigration and refugee resettlement. Yet the church is called to be a unifying voice, a prophetic voice speaking out on behalf of all of God's people. And don't you suppose that refugees and asylum seekers are among the least of these family members of Jesus? to whom he urges us in Matthew 25 to offer food and drink, clothes, visits, care, and welcome. Whew, who feels overwhelmed? I think most of us know a thing or two about overwhelm, especially after the year that we've just had. Many of us can relate to feeling completely overwhelmed simply by trying to do life in the midst of this global pandemic. Too much technology, too much information, too few options, too much news and too little control over any of it. It's a sense of overwhelm that no amount of going to bed early or cups of hot chocolate or chamomile tea, good novels or good television can help stave off. Not even keeping the computer turned off for 24 hours can rescue us from the overwhelming communal grief and loss and the little life tragedies that keep adding up, the missed birthdays, the, the visits prohibited, the hugs and kisses forbidden. It's the kind of overwhelm that upends the pieces of our lives and leaves them scattered at our feet. And we just want to scream, enough is enough. What do we do? We take the next step, the next breath, and we do the most mundane, habitual things that we can find to do to get us from one moment to the next. Make a sandwich and wipe the counter. Walk the dog, sort through the junk mail, wash a load of laundry, feed the cat. Anything that doesn't require too much emotional or mental energy. One step at a time, one minute at a time, as we wait for things to come back into focus. Well, speaking of overwhelmed, in today's scripture passage, we encounter the disciples some days or weeks after the awfulness of Jesus' trial and crucifixion. Even after some of them have again experienced Jesus' presence, which both excited and puzzled them. But no doubt their world was still shaky and they were inevitably still working through feeling completely overwhelmed. Three years of being on the road with Jesus and now it's just over? That's it? What in the world are they to do now? They go fishing. And they sit in the boat all night fishing for nothing. I suppose it doesn't really matter if they catch anything. They are fishermen after all. This is what they do. 
They can still work those nets with their eyes closed and one hand tied behind their backs. Cast the net, breathe, remember. Pull in the net, breathe, remember. And then it's sunlight off in the distance and a campfire flickers on the beach. The stranger stoking the fire calls out, hey, try putting your nets over there. Eyes roll. They had been out all night and caught nothing, you'll recall. But the nets are cast. And suddenly the nets are so full of flicking and flopping fish that they can hardly pull them up into the boat. At this point, Peter looks around and thinks to himself, wait a minute. Stuff like this only happens when Jesus is. His eyes turn to the man sitting on the beach, warming his hands by the fire. Could it be? And without a second thought, he's in the water, splashing his way to the beach. The closing scene around the fire is a conversation in which the resurrected Christ reminds Peter three times for emphasis that to truly love him is to feed his sheep. To be sure, Jesus uses this metaphor to stress the importance of taking care of those whom God has entrusted to him. And it's no coincidence that the most appropriate and powerful image to convey deep care and concern, the deep care and concern of God for God's children, is that of keeping them well-fed, caring for their physical well-being, their wellness, their wholeness. Not go build a building or write a book or form a task force or develop a strategic plan. Just feed my sheep. Don't count them. Don't exploit them. Don't lecture them. Don't look down on them. Feed them. Now, the last time that Jesus talked about his sheep, detailed earlier in John's gospel, he was quick for eager for us to know that not all the sheep are like us. I have many sheep that are not of this particular fold, he said. Well, we don't have to make sure that all the sheep are fed, do we? Feed my sheep. Okay, but, but what do you mean feed? Food? Spiritual nourishment? Truth and justice? Yes. Feed my sheep. Apparently God isn't finished yet and neither are we as there are still many, many sheep that need feeding. And to demonstrate our love as Christians, Christ's followers, we are likewise called to ensure that all might enjoy the wholeness of having enough food, drink, clothes, visitors, as well as the wellness and welcome that lead to the abundant life that God desires for all people everywhere. It's within that context that the SoCal Presbyterian Immigrant Accompaniment Ministry seeks to strengthen and expand a faith-rooted, compassionate response to immigrants and refugees in our communities by encouraging and equipping and supporting congregations and individuals to joyfully and faithfully engage in accompaniment and advocacy with some of our most vulnerable neighbors. 
With support and funding from the Presbyterian Disaster Assistance and the Synod of Southern California and Hawaii, this innovative ministry began in 2019 and now officially comprises three presbyteries, San Gabriel, Riverside, and the Pacific, and you are a part of it. Rooted in the radical life and message of Jesus Christ and the example of hospitality found in Matthew 25, we focus on following Christ's call to welcome the stranger by opening our hearts, our homes, and our churches to immigrant siblings seeking asylum. Now you might be asking yourself, what is a ministry for immigrant accompaniment exactly? What does an immigrant accompaniment organizer do? Well, thinking about accompaniment, I'm reminded of a story of a boy who was asked by his mother to run an errand. Go buy some milk and come straight home were her instructions. And when the boy finally returns home much later than expected, he's quick to assure his mother that he's okay, but on his way home, he encountered a friend whose bike had broken down. Relieved, his mother asks, were you able to help her fix her bike? No, the boy replied, I stopped to help her cry. Now, an immigrant accompaniment ministry is very diverse. We serve as a resource to those who extend hospitality by welcoming an asylum seeker into their home or church and support them as they live into the blessings and challenges of sharing life together. We help to develop circles of support that come alongside a family or individual in the asylum process to coordinate things like making visits, providing transportation, assisting with translation, gathering the necessary home or clothing items, and purchasing grocery gift cards. Before the pandemic forced us to suspend the program, we coordinated monthly opportunities to visit people being held at the Adelanto Detention Center. We encouraged churches to consider repurposing underutilized space to offer welcoming spaces for immigrants in the community. And we share opportunities to join people of faith in education and action for just policies that promote welcome and flourishing in our communities, our region, and across our nation. But as I hope this short story helped to illustrate, our primary role is to accompany, to come alongside, to be a companion, with immigrants and refugees, as well as with those who seek to be accompaniers. Sometimes when there's little more that can be done than to simply help cry. My work is to build relationships, to raise awareness and create community, to foster communication, and to serve as a resource and a bridge to promote mutual accompaniment as we walk together toward the fullness of life and livelihood that God intends for the whole human family. Clearly, we'll, we are still working out the implications of the gospel message that gets summed up in this final chapter of John. The holy and loving one who came to dwell with us in the person of Jesus shows up in the darndest of places. Jesus is anywhere and everywhere and wants us to be about the work of tending his sheep. We see him in the outsiders, in the vulnerable ones, 
in the stranger that smiles at you from across the way, in the person whose story breaks your heart. Jesus comes to us in the ordinary moments of our lives and also in those moments where we feel so overwhelmed that the darkness might just choke out the light. Jesus comes to us in every prayer that is uttered, every loaf of bread that is baked, every seed that is sown, and every letter that is written. And what he asks of us is that we dedicate ourselves to feeding the sheep, to feeding, to clothing, praying, visiting, welcoming, advocating, loving, as I meditated this week on feeding the sheep, I thought about our churches and our presbyteries within the framework of Matthew 25 and the ways we are already tending to the well-being and the wellness, the wholeness of those whom we would accompany. I was hungry and you volunteered to serve me a hot meal. I was thirsty and you shared water filters to clean my water. I was sick and you accompanied me to the doctor. I was without shelter and you put me up in the classrooms of your church. I was a refugee fleeing violence and persecution and you welcomed me into your country. I was lonely and you brought me flowers. I was at risk of dropping out of school and you tutored me. I was struggling with addiction and you offered me a recovery program. I was oppressed and forgotten, and you raised awareness about my plight. I was a victim of discrimination, and you defended me. I was grieving, and you helped me cry. We hear the voice of Jesus instructing us to give of ourselves, to become vulnerable, and make ourselves available to the world around us, trusting in God's promise of abundance. But we are easily overwhelmed. We wonder, are we enough? Do we have what it takes? My prayer is that God's spirit would fill us to overflowing, empowering us to share all that we are and all that we have with others, to be the reason someone feels welcomed, seen, heard, valued, supported, and loved. One task at a time, one day at a time, until all the sheep are fed. Amen.